The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace, your host for today. Our focus today is on conflict, contention, disagreement, in effect holding your own at the table, particularly against peers and superiors where there's a lot at stake. One of the things that I find as I work with people, particularly people who've come through the organization as experts, is that as they rise in the organization, the skill becomes not in doing the work yourself, but in being able to work through and around and with others. And that inevitably means you're working with conflict. Now, by conflict, I don't mean you've already gotten into a fight. I mean you're dealing with the inevitable competing attention, competing resources, competing perspectives on what needs to be done and how it needs to be done, um, and different agendas, even for the best of intention for the company. In my view, conflict is inevitable if you're going to get anything substantive done. And if there is no conflict, you are probably suboptimizing the performance. Now, you don't want to be too confrontational and you don't want to be too avoiding of conflict. So this notion of how do I get the balance between the two so that we resolve issues without letting the emotion get out of control. And that's the focus for today's session. Now, with me today is one of my favorite writers and researchers on conflict, Craig Rundy. Craig runs a fabulous center for conflict um, in organizations, has a number of books that are great. So, Craig, welcome to the show. Juan, it's great to be here uh, talking about a topic that I really do love a lot because it's something that we all have to deal with, and if people can manage it better, their life becomes a lot easier. Fabulous. All right, so Craig, let's start with a story to get things rolling here. Um, And I'm going to give you a very current story that just occurred for me. So here we are. I have a person sitting in front of me, not today, but earlier in the week, whose peer was just promoted to be the manager of the group. Now, if you compared the two, you would say, Technically, the individual who's talking to me is probably slightly stronger, but the now you've got to work with somebody who you don't think is as good as you are on a technical point of view. 
Um, you don't quite understand why that person got promoted. There's competing views on how the work should be done as well as what's the right way to go about getting the work. You know, the first instinct is, do I stay and work through this? And then the second instinct is, how on earth do we go deal with the conflict that's inevitable in this relationship? So how common is that kind of event for you, Craig? No, it's, it's amazingly com- uh, common. One of the, uh, the classic types of uh, challenges is when you have uh, one of a set of peers who uh, becomes the manager, and so they have a new relationship uh, with people, and a lot of times they don't really have a very good understanding of um, how to handle it because it is, like you said in your introduction, it is a different relationship. Uh, you're trying to uh, get work done with and through people rather than just do it yourself. And so I find that, that particularly for the people who are the peers who, have, who now have this new manager, uh, clearly there are questions for them about... Uh, not only is you know should this person been picked instead of me, but it, it, it gets to a sense of identity. You know, am am I good? Can I, uh, you know, am I being appropriately appreciated? Uh, and so, in some respects, it can uh, touch a nerve in a sense, and that nerve then makes it difficult a lot of times going forward. Now, if you're the person who's been become the manager. You may not have this, you know, it may not be in your uh, radar screen at all that the person may be upset just because all of a sudden you become uh, the manager and you had a good relationship with them. All of a sudden it seems to be a little rocky. Uh, It can be very confusing, uh, particularly in situations where the person who's made the manager uh, is not necessarily skillful in interpersonal relationships themselves, which is often the case in technical and scientific environments. Right. right. So what's your advice to the individual that now has a manager that you weren't all that thrilled with? How do you begin that conversation? Yeah, what's interesting on a lot of this is that the the first part, even before the conversation, is uh, reflecting uh, internally. I, I just read a, an interesting book uh, the other day called The Conflict Pivot by Tammy Lensky. And it, um, it suggested that in those situations where we uh, want to blame the other person, we think they're wrong or they're, they're doing something not appropriate, that the first thing we should do is look internally to see why is this upsetting us. Uh, and I think it's a very good point uh, because <clears throat> you could have other people with that same manager who had been peers before who aren't upset at all. And so the first step is to look internally. Once you've done that, then I think that the next step in general, whether you're the manager or the person who uh, is uh, the the former peer, is to really try to listen carefully before making judgments. It's very easy to make the judgments, but uh, to slow things down and listen carefully about why the other person is seeing whatever it is that's important with respect to a particular issue. You don't have to agree with them, but understanding them is a tremendous step forward uh, and oftentimes dispels um, uh, misinterpretations that get us angry that really don't need to. 
So interesting, two parts to this. One, to look internally to understand your own drivers and emotions, the causes of those emotions, to recognize that not everybody might have the same reaction you're having. And the second is to listen really carefully, not with your own view in mind or confirming view, but just to listen carefully what's the agenda, what's the perspective, what's the thinking. Absolutely. All right, so how about other examples? What other kind of conflicts do you typically see or frequently see? Yeah, well, you know, I I was thinking about it. Uh, I wanted to make sure that uh, we would have an example of a uh, one where you had a boss and uh, a subordinate, uh, like okay. the kind you were talking about, uh, as well as one of people on the same uh, level. And I have a, a, a situation where uh, two colleagues... Uh, we're friends, very good friends. And uh, at some point in time, one of the two made a comment that the other person misinterpreted as in some way uh, disparaging or putting down their idea. As a consequence of that, they got upset that they didn't express it. They kind of held it in and then began acting uh, in negative ways uh, toward the toward the other person. In other words, they had suppressed their anger, and eventually that anger began coming out in uh, either uh, avoiding the other person, or sometimes when they were in contact with them, saying something that had a, an edge to it, which then in turn triggered the first person to get upset, and it kind of escalated. Uh, until you reached a point where people were not talking with one another, and when they were in the same room, you could tell that something was negative was going on, even though nobody was saying anything. And I, that's another classic situation that you see in in organizational life. Yeah, I see that one a lot as well. And that kind of the withhold, not saying it, not coming clean about it, it just becomes a downward spiral in the relationship. And everybody's standing on the sidelines going, what happened to the two of you? Mm -hmm. All right, let me give you one last um, example that I had recently. So an individual now in a fabulous new role, three managers, three different styles. Unfortunately, I think three is, but that's the number I'm hearing more often than not. Three different locations, by the way. Three different styles, three different approaches to how to deal with a particular problem. One who wants you to be quite assertive, one who wants you to be, um, just tell people what to do and be quite demanding and directing. The other one who wants to have you be softer, gentle, a little slower. And navigating the tension between those three can be a real problem. You feel like you're tap dancing. Uh, you know, it's, what's interesting is that these differences are absolutely natural. Whether you look at uh, personality assessments or uh, assessment instruments looking at style, different, people are different. It's just natural. And so some people uh, will prefer you know, sort of the soft-handed approach of dealing with uh, others. Other people want more uh, assertive or even dominant. So given that these differences are natural, what that's really saying is that conflicts will be natural. And, of course, we're going to get into uh, the notion of what, you know, how do you define conflict. But 
differences certainly will be natural, and those differences can lead to problems at times. And so if the first thing we can do is to recognize and almost um, uh, begin to tolerate the fact that people are going to be different, it's a great first step. If you can celebrate that there are differences, which is a little harder, especially if those differences are different than you, uh, it's even better because, like you said in the beginning, if everybody was exactly the same, you had no conflict. It would be very boring and stagnant kind of organization. So these differences really bring life to things, although they do bring these challenges. All right, so I have taken away um, four messages from you, if I can, real quickly. One is the need to look internally to what's driving my feelings, emotions, reactions. Two is to listen and listen really carefully, seriously listen. Three is to not let some upset create a downward spiral in the relationship. And four is this notion of tolerating personality differences, maybe even celebrating them. Just before we go to break real quickly, Craig, how would you define conflict? You know, I think that the best uh, definition, although there are a number of them, the one I like best comes from a a colleague, Michael Rawlings, who works in the federal government. And he he, uh, says conflict is essentially differences that concern people. Very simple, and I think right on the money. So it's not the notion that has become a problem, but it's a difference that people are concerned about. I love that definition. Fabulous. All right, we're going to take a break at this point. We've been talking with Craig Rundy. When we come back, we're going to get focused on more of the details of how do you tactically manage conflict when it comes up. Join us in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Are you an entrepreneur that wants to achieve more? Not just in it for profit, but to do work you find meaningful that adds more value to more people in more ways? Listen for Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind. With host Chris Cooper, you'll hear from successful achievers from around the world with the passion and experience to offer invaluable guidance. These people are making a difference and will help give you the motivation and insight to achieve more. Be More, Achieve More can be heard live Fridays at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. This is Wanda Wallace. With me today is Craig Rundy. Craig is the author of one of my favorite books on conflict called Becoming a Conflict-Competent Leader. We've been talking about the kinds of conflicts that both Craig and I see in corporations, the peer-to-peer, the peer-to-manager, all those sorts of tensions that inevitably arise in organizational life. Now, in this segment, I want to focus particularly on what is it you can do as an individual in organization to make the conflict more manageable. And by more manageable, I mean keeping the tension at a tolerable level. Um, What Craig calls constructive behaviors. All right, so now the notion, at least from Craig's model, is that when conflict happens, I can go down a path that escalates the tension or I can go down a path that de-escalates the tension. But before I get too far ahead of myself, Craig, you've done a lot of research on conflict. Tell us a little bit about the research and what you find people should and shouldn't do. Well, it's interesting. In the, in the mid-1990s, there emerged a whole body of research on uh, organizational conflict, and it, and it divided conflict into two different types, two main types, uh, one of which uh, focused on uh, more solving of the problem. There would be these differences that concern people. In that case, though, people would roll up their sleeves and figure out how can we solve the problem caused by this conflict. Another kind was uh, typified by uh, rather than trying to find uh, a solution, was trying to find out who to blame. And these, this research led to the creation of um, uh, an assessment I- instrument that we use here at the Center for Conflict Dynamics uh, called the Conflict Dynamics Profile, which basically uh, sees that certain kinds of behaviors tend to help conflict be resolved more easily and others tend to escalate or prolong it. The ones that escalate are called destructive behaviors. The ones that really help are called constructive behaviors. And I think that uh, more recent research is further suggesting that, in fact, how people behave when faced with conflict has a tremendous amount to do with what kind of results they get. Do they get the bad kind of conflict or the good kind of conflict? When you're able to use constructive communications behaviors, which allow you to find out what's happening, to be able to share your thoughts and feelings, to be able to mutually search for solutions to the problem caused by your differences, then you get the better kind of conflict. And I think that that's really the focus of a lot of our research, but also a lot of our practical uh, application of it. So give us an example of a couple, three constructive behaviors that someone would need to do to lead to a better outcome? Well, some of them um, are more active in nature, involving uh, overt type of uh, actions, such as uh, putting yourself in the other person's shoes, which we call perspective taking. Trying to understand how the other person is seeing the situation, which can be difficult because... You know, a lot of times you're angry at them and you don't want to hear where they're coming from. But it's really important if you're going to come up with 
good solutions to understand what the other person cares about and, and how they're seeing things. So, so that would be one. Another example is uh, what we call creating solutions, which is ultimately once you have shared things with the other person, have a better understanding of each other, trying to brainstorm possible solutions to the problems caused by your differences. And what's happening here that's good is you're moving from a me-against-you kind of situation to us-against-the-problem, where you are collaboratively trying to solve what, in effect, is a common problem that you have. And those, those kind of behaviors are meant to solve the problem, not find out who's to blame. Got it. Now, let me come back to the first one you said, perspective taking. You know, in ages ago, we often called that active listening. Um, This notion of I want to hear where you're really coming from. The problem I hear from most of my clients is if I sit and listen to where that other person is coming from, they think I'm agreeing with them. Yeah. How do you get out of that conundrum? Well, one one of the simplest ways that we suggest is if you're concerned about that, begin with, uh, I really want to understand how you see it. I may not agree with anything you say, but still I want to understand where you're coming from. I think it will help us better uh, get to a resolution down the line. So just, you know, say, say that you don't necessarily agree with them up front. I think it takes the fear out of it. Interesting approach. Now, with the creating solutions, you know, the other comment I hear is, yeah, that's great, but I'm so angry at that other person, I don't actually want them to win. I want to win. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. And I think that that uh, underpins uh, my, my next point, which is understanding what these uh, constructive behaviors are is not the same thing as being able to do them. And I think that the biggest problem is not being able to cognitively recognize what the behaviors are, but it's to be able to deal with the emotions underlying the conflict, because if you're angry, you're going to have a very hard time doing these things, even if you know what they are. That underlying anger will keep you from you know, really uh, entering into the uh, dialogue in a constructive manner. So... Our, our model in our book uh, basically says that you need to first cool down, which is manage your emotions, slow down and think about what's going on here, and then, and only then, engage with the other person to try to find a resolution. So there's a lot of inner work that happens before you ever get to the conversation. So we're back to that whole internal perspective That's- of... What's going on with me? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I reacting the way I'm reacting? Yeah, okay. and it's really what's interesting is that the research on that, the research on the other stuff came, uh, coming, began coming out in more detail in the mid-1990s. It's still going on on the behavior side, but the, the research on the importance of the emotional side is uh, much newer, uh, beginning in the mid-2000s and only really coming into the conflict management field probably uh, maybe in the last five years, uh, you know, maybe ten, but really more significantly in the last five, uh, that people have recognized that to manage conflict well, you have to manage your emotions uh, early on as a part of that process. 
So what's the role of being able to talk about emotions? Do you think that's a good idea? Or my clients always shy away enormously from the thought that they should say or show any emotion at all. No, it's an interesting thing. You know, my, uh, my notion is that out in front of every large organization in our country and maybe the world, but certainly in the, in the United States, there's a big invisible sign that says, check your emotions here. It's as though people, uh, you know, are not supposed to show emotions. But when we ask people, uh, do you have emotions around conflict at work? Everybody says yes. Yes, but uh, we, we shouldn't show them. It either will look weak or it's not culturally accepted. But then when you ask people, okay, what do, what do you do with those emotions? Well, generally they'll say, well, we just hold them inside. Then we ask, well, what happens then? And that's the real question. And people begin to reflect on that. They see that either they hold it inside and, and, and get sick with ulcers or uh, high blood pressure, or they hold it inside and it festers until it ultimately comes out, either as angry outbursts or as uh, sarcastic remarks marks with an edge to it. Uh, so we, we wind up saying, you know, either you're going to deal with your emotions or they're going to deal with you. Much better for you to have a technique for being able to deal with them. Okay. That, so we're right back to the very beginning story that you told about two people who... One interpreted a comment as being a slight, never talked about it, never cleared the air, and the anger that comes from that starts to fester the relationship. Yeah, and then they would do some kind of behaviors to the other person who would (laughs) internalize it, and you have two people who are steaming inside, not having a way to be able to work their way through it. Right, and sub-optimizing a lot of performance around them. Oh, Absolutely. All right, so talk for us just a couple minutes about the kind of key things that we shouldn't do, the kind of things that are going to escalate tension. Well, the very first one is, in fact, to repress your emotions. It's the worst of all uh, emotional regulation techniques. If you stuff them, the emotions are going to build, and eventually you're going to wind up using behaviors that will, in fact, escalate or prolong the uh, the conflicts, such as displays of anger towards the other person, Uh, use of demeaning types of behaviors that put down the other person in one way or another. Uh, They're talking about something, and you're rolling your eyes when they say it. All those kind of little slights, and sometimes you're aware of it and sometimes you're not, all of those go to uh, exacerbating it because the other person all of a sudden is getting these negative inputs, which, is, which are heightening their uh, upset. <clears throat> and then people feed off of each other. So I think the other thing, that, and, it's, and it's very different, but when people avoid the other person, which is probably the most classic response, <clears throat> excuse me, um, it itself is not as inflammatory, but it allows the tensions to continue. Rather than dealing with it, you avoid it, conflict doesn't go away. So, and what about competition? You know, the the world, corporate world today is just rife with you get the job or I get the job, and there's this sense of we're competing, even if we're in the same organization, same team. Does that play a role here? 
I mean, for some people it can. Uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with being able to have an appropriate kind of um, competitive context. Um, but I think that um, a manager in that kind of setting, uh, you, you could do it in different ways. And some people, uh, if it's taken as a uh, win-at-all-cost type of context, uh, you're going to have people who uh, get upset and become less collaborative. I mean, when you have people who feel like losers in a situation, as long as it, it, if they feel that they have lost in such a way that it has affected their identity, that they are somehow lessened by this, as opposed to they participated in this, and even though they didn't uh, maybe win, they nonetheless uh, gained from it by uh, improving their skills, and they're recognized for the good job that they've done in uh, even if they haven't uh, won. Uh, but if it, if it brings them down uh, in a way, uh, I find that people then become less willing to participate. They pull back and the, they kind of withdraw from active participation, which I think uh, will lessen the performance of the organization. Okay, so it's to keep that tension again at a level so that people don't feel that they have been harmed, their identity has been damaged in some way. All right, we're going to take a break here again. I find this is a fascinating discussion, Greg. If I just summarize some of the key things to be doing when you find yourself in conflict, one is we have that notion of cool down, slow down, and look internally about what's really driving this. And then two key actions to take. One is perspective taking to genuinely understand where the other person is coming from and to go into the creating solutions, the proactive mode of there is some way of getting through this. What is the possibility? We're talking with Craig Rundy. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. And when we come back, we're going to focus on um, how do you actually deal with the emotions that are present? And in particular, how do you go about cooling down? We'll be right back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Have you become a member yet? 
Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace.com at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Craig Rundy, and we have been talking about conflict. We've been talking about the things that you do and don't do in managing conflict, and one of the issues that comes up inevitably is there are emotions. And we've already said the notion that in most organizations, we believe that you should check your emotions at the door. We also know that that isn't how human beings work. I often say if you want creativity or innovation or, for that matter, engagement, then emotions come with the package. However, that's fine when it's a positive emotion, but when it's a negative emotion, we run into a little trouble on how to deal with it. So, Craig, let's spend a few minutes talking about how do you deal with your emotions. So somebody is – yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I just – when I heard you say um, positive emotions versus negative ones, it it immediately uh, made me think of work by Barbara Fredrickson at the University of North Carolina – on the subject of positivity and the idea that one thing that people can do to help them uh, deal with negative emotions that may occur in conflict situations is to develop or uh, encourage having a positive mood. Uh, And one of the things that she suggests is that you make sure to cultivate a, a number of positive emotions during your day. In other words, do things that make you feel really good. And what's interesting is that once you uh, reach, uh, according to her theory, once you reach a certain uh, ratio of positive emotions to negative ones, that your mood begins to switch and that you begin to have a more persistent positive mood, which can also serve as an antidote when negative emotions uh, arise, such as uh, they will in conflict settings. Uh, she's not the only one. Uh, Dr. John Gottman, uh, who's a famous uh, marital researcher, has found uh, not the same but certainly comparable ratios in terms of positive interactions versus negative ones leading to more positive uh, emotional states. And so I think that that's certainly one thing to do right off the bat is to cultivate positive emotions in your life. All right, so two points about this. One, the first one is that it's not that you have no negative emotions. It's that you find positive emotions to counterbalance the negative. And I think her ratio is sometimes around two to one. I want two positives to one negative. Like that framework in general, but how do we do it? Well, I mean, uh, 
I, her book on positivity, I think, is a very nice book uh, because the first half underlies the uh, research. So the second half uh, gives simple suggestions for the kinds of things that people can do. Now, everybody's going to have their own set of uh, activities uh, and situations that will cultivate positive emotions for them. Some people feel, uh, you know, really wonderful emotions uh, listening to great music walking in nature, uh, using mindfulness techniques, being with friends. And so everybody will find their own, but the real key is being able to consciously make sure that you're experiencing uh, a significant amount of positivity in your life uh, that will help you then when you have these tougher times. That's interesting. Um, I used uh, with someone I was coaching uh, Barbara Fredrickson's technique of focusing on three positive things that happened in the course of the day. And this individual would call me in the morning and go, I've got two, I can't get the third one. <laughs> and we'd have a quick chat on the phone until we found something constructive, positive in the day. And then the phone would go, great, I got it, I can do it. Um, just a simple technique that kind of got him through a really rough patch. I've had the same time. experience with uh, clients who, you know, were, were really experiencing a lot of negativity at work. And for them, I said, you really need to saturate yourself with these positive <laughs> uh, sort of situations. And the, the person did it and really had a major transformation, uh, including their ability to manage uh, negative emotions when conflict would arise, which uh, it's not the only thing, but it certainly is a very positive thing you can do. Yeah, and the other reason this is so important is everybody around you, particularly senior people around you, are watching how you deal with this particular difficult moment. And the better you cope with it, the more credit you get in terms of leadership qualities, or at least that's how what I find in my clients. Yeah. Um, are there other techniques for dealing with emotions? Yeah, there are a couple others that uh, are well-researched, uh, and I think that they derive out of uh, sort of the underlying uh, thoughts associated with cognitive behavioral therapy, which basically how you're thinking will influence how you're feeling. And so let's say in a conflict situation, like the example that we were talking about, Somebody thinks the other person has said something that's a slight to them that may be putting them down, or they say something that they think threatens their own interests. Uh, and they begin to dwell on that, uh, ruminate on it, so it goes over and over in their mind, and they're consumed by that, what in effect is a story about what the other person's actions mean. And we do, we do this may, may, uh, sense-making all the time. Uh, we're trying to, uh, in, our, in a way try to understand why people have done what they have done, even though we haven't talked to them about it. And we tend to uh, err toward the negative. In other words, we will be more suspicious or uh, doubtful of the person's uh, good intentions, uh, almost as a way of protecting ourselves. It's easier to uh, think that something bad and be uh, protective rather than think that something's good and then get blindsided. But the net effect of that is that we will uh, get into one of these negative thinking ruts. And there are a couple ways of getting out of that. One of them is to begin to ask yourself, and this is called reappraisal or cognitive reappraisal, ask yourself, is there another way of interpreting what I've been seeing and hearing 
that doesn't involve uh, the other person having a bad motive or some sort of negative approach towards me. So if the person in our story had heard the first comment, which they initially interpreted as a slight, if they could ask themselves, is there any other way of interpreting that particular statement other than it was meant as a slight? Now, this takes a little work, but uh, basically, if you can come up with some possibility of what it means, and this doesn't, you don't have to talk to the other person yet. This is you're curing your own uh, negative emotions. If you can think of a non-hostile interpretation, then all of a sudden, your brain functioning changes, and you have a portion of your brain uh, light up that tends to regulate or lessen the intensity of your negative emotions. It's a very fascinating uh, process, and this is what the the research starting in the mid-2000s was showing, that there's a particular part of your uh, prefrontal cortex that becomes active when you use this process of reappraisal. It's fascinating, Craig. I often say to people when they are pontificating for me on some person who's done some slight and they give me a reason for it, they're jealous, whatever, I often say possible, but give me two other hypotheses. Give me two other reasons that are different for why that might be going on. And you're right, often thinking about it differently, seeing an alternative framework really opens up the possibilities. Are you started changes. this? Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, and it changes the brain function as well. It does, it, no. it absolutely does. And, and part of the process is that the portion of the brain that lights up, in fact, calms down the limbic system. Okay, great. All right, now you said, there are there other techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy? Well, there are certainly ones that are derived from the uh, sort of the, the concepts there. One of them is called attentional deployment. That's sort of the technical term, and I'm not, really, I'm not a psychologist, but I get this from the people who are and do the research. Attentional deployment basically means where are you focusing your attention? So if cognitive reappraisal is thinking differently about the situation, and that changes things. Attentional deployment means thinking of something different. And the best, uh, simplest uh, thing to think of in this case is um, a process that's used in um, cardiac rehab programs where people have been, you know, maybe type A and they get really uh, upset with things and, uh, you know, their emotions are uh, highly strong. the going to your happy place is the technique, and what it is is you're encouraged to have these people think about some beautiful place, some beautiful situation that they've been in that makes them very happy. I was doing coaching with someone one time, and they were telling me about how stressed out they were in a certain situation, and I asked them, can you think of, you know, the place in the world where you're most relaxed and most happy. And they began to uh, describe being out on their boat in a, in, in, on a lake and what it was like and the sunshine and the calm breeze coming. And as they were doing it, you could see them just relaxing as they talked about that. And once again, being able to have people focus on something that's very positive, you know, a very happy place. Uh, can take your uh, attention off of 
the ruminating that's getting you upset, uh, and it tends to, once again, lessen the intensity of the negative feelings. A, a variation on that is uh, something that's uh, much becoming m- much more uh, known now called mindfulness, which is a process of being able to be uh, very aware in the moment uh, about what is happening, being able to observe things in a non-judgmental way. Uh, it derives from uh, contemplative traditions, but it can be used in secular ways for sure. Uh, it helps not only people being able to overcome anxiety and other problems like that, but it clearly lessens the uh, intensity of the negative emotions, and it does so in a very similar way uh, to the cognitive reappraisal. Your brain function actually changes, and it calms down the part of your brain that is getting you or keeping you so upset in the first place. Craig, fascinating. We're going to take a break here, but if I summarize this, we have a couple of things that are just really helpful for dealing with the negative emotions. One is to cultivate positive mood, find good things that make you feel good. Two is to change the way you see the particular problem, find an alternative, less negative frame and three is to think about something that makes you happy think about something different in effect and the last one is this mindfulness technique we're going to take a break when we come back from the break i want to talk about the thing that probably creates more negative mood than anything else and that's those challenging personalities that just drive us bonkers and we'll fit that together with how that plays out in conflict we'll be right back Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1 866 472 5790. Again, that's 1 866 472 5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. 
Welcome back. With me today is Craig Rundy, and we have been talking about conflict at work, um, the things that you can do, the things that you shouldn't do, and particularly those emotions that come up um, most of the time and some tactics for dealing with emotions. I find in talking to people that most of the time the emotions are driven not so much by the event as by the personality of the person on the other side. And it's almost as if there you go again, how dare you, and I get all of this run of emotion and we're then into less than productive behaviors. So Craig, tell us, you said at the beginning, one of the tricks for conflict is to learn to tolerate, maybe even celebrate different personalities. Some of these characters are kind of hard to manage. Give us some examples and what do you do about it? Well, what's interesting is that uh, what we find are that the, it's more of the people's behaviors that tend to be the triggers. Uh, we call these hot buttons. In other words, uh, people will act in a certain way and as a result of that, uh, it will upset us. And the idea here is that we have learned uh, certain values in our lives that when we encounter someone who is acting in a way that's uh, against that value, let's say we value a trustworthiness and somebody uh, acts in an untrustworthy manner, that will trigger what we call uh, our hot button, which will cause irritation and put us in a place where we're having negative emotions, anger, fear, that make it easy for us to behave back in negative ways. So the real key is to be able to understand what your hot buttons are and then recognize when they're starting to happen so you can apply some of the emotional management techniques that we talked about uh, in the last section. All right. So somebody acts in an untrustworthy way. Are you implying that I should just accept their behavior? No, not at all. But the key is when confronting them with it, you need to be able to do it in an effective manner. And if you're angry yourself and off balance, the likelihood is you'll wind up escalating the situation rather than being able to manage it and confront it in an effective manner. So the real deal is understand your hot buttons, be able to manage the irritation caused by them, and then come back to deal with the person's behavior uh, that may be causing the problem in the first place. But when you do so, you'll be much better positioned to be able to handle it effectively. Okay, so let me see if I get this cycle right. Somebody takes an action that feels against my value or my standards. I see that as really negative. I have an emotional reaction to that anger or hostility or fear. The trick is to put my emotion under check. We've just talked about how to do that with, you know, some thinking differently and some mood, thinking about positive moods and so forth. So I get my emotions under control, and then I'm going to engage in a conversation. Yes. Uh, but I have you to be... Get your, if you're not under control yourself, the likelihood is you'll escalate things. So I don't want to escalate things, but then I want to have a conversation. And where do I start that conversation that was wrong, your behavior? How do I start uh, that conversation? Usually it's, it's by being able to express your emotions in a constructive manner, being able to describe the behavior, uh, describe its impact on you. We find that the uh, model called SBI, developed by the uh, Center for Creative Leadership, of situation, describing the situation, 
B, the behavior, and then telling the impact on yourself is a very effective model for doing that. Okay. So I calm down, and then I can begin a conversation with the other person that might start, for example, with let me explain to you how I felt in that situation. So something along the lines of when you did, here's the impact on me. Absolutely, and uh, you may not have intended that. I'd like to know what you're, where you're coming from. Okay. So in other words, so you that, move into perspective taking at that point. Perspective taking. Okay, one last example. What are the other kind of challenging personalities or personality behaviors, I guess I should say, that you see um, just for one minute? Different kinds? Yes, different kinds, other kinds yeah, that people I, struggle with. I find with. that the ones that seem to be uh, most prevalent for people uh, are, of course, the untrustworthiness, the... Uh, People who are uh, unreliable, you can't count on them for things, uh, hostile types of behaviors, uh, people yell or angry, swear, and so forth, trigger uh, things for folks. Also abrasive people, people who put down others, act more superior, uh, tends to be a fairly uh, common kind of thing. And also in workplace settings, micromanaging uh, tends to be something that... Uh, a lot of people don't like it. They don't like people looking over their shoulders as though they're not trusting them. So uh, those are very common ones that we see. Okay. And again, in each case, the notion is to get your own negative emotion under control and then to be able to engage in uh, expressing the emotions in a constructive way and getting perspective. Um, Before we close, Craig, would you like to say a little bit about your work at the center? Sure. Sure. Our Center for Conflict Dynamics at Eckerd College in St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, helps people be able to uh, manage workplace conflict more effectively. We do so by uh, courses that we offer. Usually what we do is train the trainer so that we'll train uh, either consultants, external consultants, or internal trainers in organizations to be able to use our assessment instruments and also use our skill-building courses uh, to help people Uh, improve the inevitable conflict that they're going to find. We want them to be able to manage it more effectively. Great. Craig, thank you very much. It's been lovely having you on the show. Next week, when we and fascinating conversations about how to deal with conflict and particularly how to deal with emotion. Next week, I'm going to have an expert leader with me talking about how do you step out of the expertise and delegate to your team, get your team to elevate their capability and improve your level of communication with the business. So we hope you'll join us next week. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.